When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good Thursday, everyone. Welcome into another edition of the VolQuest.com Mailbag Podcast. Glad to have you along with us on this Thursday. Remember, hit that uh, subscribe button on YouTube. Hit the like button. Get this thing to 500 likes. You can also sign up and subscribe at VolQuest right now. Tons of coverage going on at VolQuest. We need more subscriptions to pay for Austin prices. We're in the world is Austin Price around the world trip. We're obviously taping this because otherwise in Hawaii it would be in the middle of the night. But there's Austin Price in his wraparound shades in Hawaii, living the high life today. We're going to get to your questions, but Austin just wanted to um, announce him his presence with some authority here today to talk about the Polynesian Bowl. Austin, we'll give you the floor. Well, you know, guys, had a good solid week of practice. You know, they've yet to wear pads in any practice out here at the Polynesian Bowl. I don't know if it's you know just for safety reasons or if it's just because of the warmth, but uh, you know they, they put them all in pads for like five minutes on Wednesday and then kind of yanked them right back out of pads and they've just had them just practicing in jerseys. Uh, the quarterbacks have not even worn any jersey; they don't even have a number yet, which is interesting to me. Um, but uh, you know, Nico's looked really good. Um, I, I'll say this: uh, the loss of Francis Malingoa to Miami, I, I, he looks really, really good. And then the Deuce Robinson kid, who's Still yet to make a decision. A lot of people have him take for George to the tight end. He's a really good-looking player. But Nico is, uh, has been bonding really, really well with a lot of the players here. Um, and it just continues to, to show why I think he meshes so well when he walks in to campus. Uh, he catches up with him the last couple of days. He's really, really been positive about, you know, the recruiting class. He feels like Tennessee got some really good players. He's excited about the defensive side of the ball. And, and clearly he knows that, like, those guys on defense will help him – on the offensive side of the ball, he expects to score points. He knows that adding more depth on in town on the defense helps them stop people, which gets him the ball back when he eventually does become the quarterback at Tennessee. All right, one quick question, Austin. Why is he playing in this game? What what's the ad I mean he's supposed to be in camp on campus Monday to go to class. What what's the what's the rationale? Why why is it so advantageous for him does he think to play in this game? Well, he wanted to play in this game. You know, he didn't. He had an offer to play in all the other games. He had an offer to play in the Under Armour, the Army, this one. This is the only one he ever wanted to play in. You know, he's got Polynesian culture, obviously. Um, you know, and he's got that heritage. And this is the only one he ever wanted to play in. Talking to his dad, Big Nick. I mean, this was a no-brainer for them. Uh, you know, to, to come over to the islands and, and, and play in this game. It's later uh, than most of the other games, and so. It's, the fact that Tennessee doesn't start delay probably helped Nico in this instance. If Tennessee had started campus or started uh, you know, school two weeks ago or a week and a half ago, he's probably not playing in this game. But because it started late, it helped him. He's able to play in this game. And, you know, I think this was just kind of his last hoorah for prep, uh, prep football. Well, it's a last hoorah for him. It's a great hoorah for you because you're hanging out in the sunshine. We're in the cold rain here. But you do have great coverage. Great interview with Nico earlier this week. Full coverage coming up throughout the rest of the week and obviously the game on Saturday. Austin, your tea time awaits. I think the starter's calling your name, so we'll let you get to it, my friend. No, no golf, my friend, but we are going to see Pearl Harbor. So you guys have a great Thursday, and uh, we'll see you on the general's quarters. All right, thanks. There's Austin Price. 
again, just wanting to announce his presence with authority and let everybody know where he was hanging out at this particular point. Back to the business at hand again. Full coverage of the Polynesian Bowl coming up for Boston throughout the rest of the week. All right, guys, let's get down to the business at hand and jump right into the mailbag podcast here with a lot of questions. And we will start with the first one. As of uh, January the 19th, does this look like the starting lineup offensively on the offensive line for game one? Any others that could push for a starting spot? Left tackle, Crawford, or right tackle, Crawford Mincy. Um, left, or sorry, left tackle, Crawford Mincy. Left guard, Carrick. Center, Mays. Spragans at right guard. And Campbell at right tackle. Grant, let's start with you. What do you think this offensive line looks like without Jerome Carvin and Darnell Wright? I think they got big questions to answer. I think it's a good job that uh, they, it was a good job done by the staff to address that a lot in the transfer portal. I don't know what exactly Carrick uh, is going to look like at that, that guard. He did play tackle, if I'm not mistaken, mostly at Texas, right, Brent? Yeah, he played tag. He played guard and, and tackle. But he played more tackle. I don't think he's a tackle. He might get a look at right tackle in the spring, but I think he's more guard than, than he is tackle, you know, in, in this Tennessee offense, but we'll see. I mean, I think just this this offensive line just in general in this system, as fast as it goes, as, as quickly as they're getting rid of the ball, you don't have to have, you know, the, the biggest name guys up front. They've done a lot of work with, with not a ton of, you know, the biggest name talents not up there on the offensive line. Now they do have big uh, big holes to fill with those guys that have left, and, and I think they did a good job um, addressing that in the portal. But um, I, I don't know how they go about what these guys look like until we kind of get some eyes on them in the spring or what they look like working five wide. Matt, it feels like they're, I mean, Dane Davis, I guess, could be an option at tackle. But but outside of that, they're kind of settled with those bodies that he mentioned at the tackle spot when you, when you talk about uh, Campbell coming in and, and you talk about Crawford and you talk about Mincy. At guard, Ollie Lane has played some snaps. He, he's been more than serviceable in, in some starts there. I guess in theory, he could, he could battle with Keurig for a guard spot, um, you know, with Spragans in there with his experience as well, right? Yeah, I think so. You know, and where does Addison Nichols slot in? What do they do with him during the spring? You know, we saw him work some at center, you know, and you obviously think that he can have a role there, but a guy that battled a hand injury later in the season, so didn't get a lot of, you know, opportunities to get in games late. But, you know, where does he slot in? He's a guy that I think can can do some different things. But I, I'm like you, you know, I think Carrick um, plays guard in this offense and, maybe gets a look at right tackle, but I think they're pretty settled on those bodies. And, um, you know, I think what Grant touched on, you know, one thing is that they get the ball out so quick. If you can find a combination that works in the run game and, and you can and find those fits, then Tennessee can be productive, you know. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how they mix some of those bodies inside because you lose a guy like Jerome Carvin, you lose Darnell Wright at, at right tackle, who I think is, you know, going to soar up draft boards you know, this spring, but we'll see what happens there going into the spring. I think that's definitely a position group of, of major interest. Yeah. And the next six or seven weeks leading into that spring is really important too. not just for newcomers, but for guys who redshirted this year that are going to go through, you know, a full off season again, what do their bodies look like differently? How how does, how how do those things go? Um, What will be interesting to see Sam Smith, 22, 33, Rob Lewis to you. Any worry with Tennessee's basketball schedule being so backloaded, having played only one bubble team in SEC play so far with Alabama, Arkansas, Auburn twice, and a trip to Lexington left at the end of the schedule? I mean, what what's the worry? I mean, I don't – you play a bunch of good teams late or you hadn't played anybody yet? I mean, I don't – I mean, I'm not I'm trying not, to be flippant. I don't really right, understand I, what he's asking. I, 
I think the notion – I want to take this and, and infer here, the notion being that the jury's still way out on Tennessee. Oh, I would, because I would you totally agree with that. You don't put a whole lot of stock in winning big at South Carolina and sweeping Mississippi State. Yeah, or I do you? No, I don't put hardly any stock in it. I mean, you look – I mean, the South Carolina game at Kentucky last week was just, to me, one of the weirdest things that's ever happened. Grant, I mean, you look, they get right back on the horse last week, or last night, or Tuesday night, get smoked at home by Ole Miss. I mean, I, I don't think you can read anything into, into that. You know, I mean, I, I think Tennessee's a good team. I mean, are they, you know, the fifth best team in the country like they were rated before the Kentucky loss? I'm not sure about that. But, you know, you got the Kansas win. I, I don't, I mean, that that proves something. I mean, I know that was two months ago, but I mean, Kansas is, that's pretty solid. But, no, I, I, I don't think you've really got Tennessee's measurement yet because you play a bunch of, you know, bottom feeders in the SEC right now. For, for both of you guys, Grant, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but for both of you, how much do you take away from their ability to win at Mississippi State as shorthanded as they were? Is that a one-off that, hey, they found a way to win, or is that one you keep in the back pocket to say, boy, they can take a lot from that? Let me unmute myself. I think it would be one thing if they just came out and Mississippi State didn't play well from the jump, but what Tennessee looked like the first 10 to 15 minutes of that game is as lost as they were at times, as erratic as they were at times, as, as hard as it was for them to find just a, a offensive rhythm, offensive buckets back-to-back, -back, just that. I think from the way they went the first 15 minutes to the way they went the last 25 minutes, the answers they found, kind of what they had to – they had to find something, and they did it through Zakai, and they did it through Julian Phillips. I think the way they did it, it's a pretty big character win, regardless of what Mississippi State is, how good or bad they are, because you are missing two guys that are starters, two guys that you rely on heavily. Santi's your leading scorer. Tyreek, he hadn't done a ton, but he's still a guy that can handle the ball, and he gives you a point guard option instead of having Zakai out there for 40 minutes. So the way it happened, uh, I think it's a, it's a character win, and it's something that you can point to moving forward for this team. Yeah, I, I would call it a program win. I mean, more, I, mean I, I think what you saw last night was, to me, I mean, that win embodied everything that Rick Barnes' teams had been about since they've been at Tennessee. And it was a bounce back because I, I, I thought they got punked against Kentucky. I mean, that's one of the fewest, few times I could ever remember thinking that Tennessee was not the tougher team, uh, that they didn't meet the other team's intensity. And I, I think kids were embarrassed by that. I, I can you know guarantee you that they just got absolutely blasted by their head coach. In film session, and uh, I mean, I, I thought that was a big bounce back. On the schedule side of it, I would rather it be backloaded, so you have those games that are intensity, intensity, intensity against that good elite competition. The the better teams in this league that are going to be NCAA tournament teams, opposed to playing all those guys in early January. Then you're playing the back half of the league heading into March, and you have to kind of flip it back on a little bit. I think you'd rather have that intensity that difficulty strength of schedule closer to March. And that way you roll straight into a uh, postseason play a little bit more tested. Yeah. And the SEC's done this for a number of years. And it's, I mean, it's not just Tennessee that, that they do this to I mean, they, 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 they loaded up to where, you know, everybody's kind of playing, you know, they're, they're tougher teams, not, you know, not, maybe not as tough as Tennessee. It might be a little bit, little bit of an extreme example, but if you go look Auburn, uh, Kentucky, Arkansas, I mean, they're, they're, they're all, Kind of similar to what Tennessee is doing, and that's you know I, I I don't fault the SEC for doing that to drum up interest at the end of the year when people are really paying attention to basketball. Yeah, no doubt it helps your TV ratings, and 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 conversely, probably helps your your tournament teams get themselves ready as well. Uh, Zvalls wants to know, uh, Matt, do you expect Joshua Joseph and or 
Uh, Pierce to eclipse six sacks this season. They're listed at 238 and 242. There's no way Joshua Joseph's at 238, respectively. Uh, what are they actually at? I don't know their weight, but there's no way Joshua Joseph's at 238. Pierce might be closer to 235, but um, Joseph is, is not there. What, what do you think about those guys in terms of getting to the quarterback? We saw Pierce in mop-up duty with two sacks this year and, and about 40 or 45 snaps worth of play. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I would take maybe a push on that. I don't know that either one of those guys eclipse six. You know, Byron Young, your sack leader this year was seven, you know, and yeah, that's a lot of production to replace in, in a guy like him that did so much in the run game as well. Um, you know, I like their length. I like what they do as far as getting after the pass rush. But we'll see where they come in terms of development. I think Josh Joseph's got a lot more, you know, meaningful snaps this year, no doubt. Probably the freshman MVP for the defense if you really want to get technical about it, but a guy that did a lot of things and, and played some meaningful roles. So, you know, where do those guys go? I think they both have the potential to do it, but, you know, to to put expectations on them moving into one of those guys moving into that starting role, it's a lot to to lay out there right now. I'd probably take a push. I think you could see one of them get, you know, four and a half, five, maybe six. We'll see. Yeah, I think it would be. I think it'd be hard for him to get there. I mean, Tim Banks like to likes to blitz as much as he does. Anyway, it, it's going to make it to me. It's going to make it hard for somebody to get a bunch of sacks. But yeah. hey, if they can get to the quarterback, Rob, without bringing extra people, life changes dramatically for Tim Banks defensively. Oh, I mean, it's that's one of the biggest. You know, that's. I mean, it's Captain Obvious, but I mean, that's one of the biggest deals in football at any level. I mean, if you can get there with four, it makes everything. I mean easier and, and different and golly for Tennessee would I bet Tim Banks would like nothing better than to be able to get there with four after uh you know the past defense that Tennessee has had to kind of field the last couple of years yeah after having to blitz the house to try to get there all right let's go back to hoops Volkin's got a question here for both of you guys um not to live in last week's Kentucky game but do you think the rebounding issue might have simply been about Euros not only being on the floor for extended minutes but also being the offensive focal point. Volume shooters rarely are huge rebounders, and Euros has never been a huge rebounder anyway. Do you see any way that Coach Rick Barnes plays Euros and Jonas together against smaller bigs like Kentucky had, or are they just going to have to get the rebounding to pick up from the regular forwards? Put me down as somebody who who hopes we never see Euros and Jonas play together. (laughs) No, no thank you. I don't want to see that. And and Grant, I – I don't know if you agree. I mean, Euros played what twenty five minutes that game, which is a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. more. But I mean, you know, when he's playing 16, 18 minutes a game, Tennessee's the leading rebounding team in the SEC. So I, I can't, I can't sign off on, on him playing a lot as being the reason Tennessee got out rebounded forty three to twenty three. No, I think it was it was Julian picking up a couple early fouls. I mean, Julian's a leading rebounder on this team, average per game, I think, at this point uh, in the season after his eleven at Mississippi State. Um, Olivier Kamal wasn't really a factor in that Kentucky game. He's one of your better rebounders. I mean, Urosh is as big as he is. He's not the most effective rebounder on this team if, if you look at the numbers. So maybe it does have a little bit to do with him being on the court for more minutes, but it's also just these guys have to avoid early foul trouble, have to be able to stay on the floor longer because those are some of your better rebounders. Those guys just have to have a bigger impact on these basketball games, it's, in my opinion. It's, it's not a 20-rebound difference because Euros played right, that's true. Six, six or eight more minutes. Yeah, no doubt about that. Um, also, this here from Volkin, can Crawford, back to football, can Crawford play right tackle or is he Zoolander and can only turn one direction? <laughs> um, I, 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 think Crawford, I think Crawford can play right or left. I think he's more comfortable left, Matt, but I think he can play right or left. 
I'll be fascinated to see how much they work him on the right side this spring, where they work Campbell, where does Mincy factor in? How, how do they kind of sort? Mincy, we know, is locked in on the left, but how they sort the rest of that out, right and left, is going to be a bit interesting to watch. Yeah, it is. I'm like you. I think Crawford can play right or left. I don't think he has trouble with I think, again, he's more comfortable on the left. I think in the time that we've seen him at Tennessee work more predominantly at the left, and he looks more comfortable there. But, yeah, that's going to be – it's just going to be such an interesting position to focus on this spring with Campbell coming in, the starts that he has. You know, where where is Mincy at in terms of, you know, health-wise, conditioning-wise? He battled some stuff down the stretch. So how does that factor into, you know, what Tennessee is able to look at and how they work guys in the spring as well? Uh, also for Vulcan, we know Joe Milton is a bit of a freak in terms of arm talent alone. He's more than a bit. Uh, can you compare just the arm talent of Milton and Nico, not who the better quarterback is, but just arm talent, and do you have any comparisons throughout Vol history on just the arm talent of each? I've not seen enough of Nico. Jo- Joe Milton is an arm I've never seen. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, he Shuler could throw the absolute snot out of it, right? But, I mean, Joe Milton throws the ball like nobody I've ever seen in a Tennessee uniform throw the ball. Am I wrong? Yeah. I think- no, watching Joe pregame when he would just stand on the goal line, two feet on the goal line, and he's just really starting the early portions of his warm-up, and he would just twist his body and launch it, not taking any steps, and he could throw it 55, 60 yards, and it looked like he was just getting started in his warm-up. Um, that's, that's something I've never seen. And then the stuff in the game, that I mean, some of those balls that he put in the air to score, uh, score wide against Missouri, uh, against Clemson as well in the Orange Bowl. I mean, yeah, that's that's – I don't nothing against Nico. I haven't seen him throw. I don't think I've seen him throw in the flesh myself. But to compare arm talent to Joe, just in terms of the strength, is, is that's, 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 that's a tough draw right there. Yeah, Hub, Hub, I mean, he sure is the only thing that comes close for me. And I didn't, you know, I was a kid, didn't see he on the practice field or anything like that. But that's, I mean, yeah, Milton's different. And, and as far I mean, we we saw Nico one day, or you guys saw him more down in Miami. But I would say, I mean, I, I don't think he has the velocity. But I will say it's effortless when, when he throws it. I mean, it, 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 it looks easy. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Yeah, it's, the, I don't know that it's seventy. I don't know that it's seventy yard effortless. <laughs> like no, Joe's not is, like but Joe, it, but it, it's. It hey, Rob, where would you put Tony Robinson in the conversation? Man, I barely remember. I, I don't think he's, he could sling it. He could sling it. I don't think he had Milton's fastball. Do you? No, no. I mean, no. I mean, the thing about Milton is it it requires no like. When he torqued one, he had to get his trunk in it. Like, he had to get his lower body generating and going in it. The thing with Joe is, like, as as Grant was saying, he doesn't even have to have great footwork, and he can still flip it 50 yards. And, and that's the that's the difference that, to me than, than any other quarterback we've seen. I'm not seeing anybody who can do that. You know who's close, over is one of, one of our all-time favorite recruits, Jamarcus Russell. Your boy, your boy Jamarcus <laughs> Russell. One of your favorites to deal with, Rob Lucy. He could throw it now. He could. He had a big. You know why or where, but he could throw it. There, there's no. There's no question about that. The funny thing is, in this offense, like his arm strength, arm. I don't know. 
just in terms of distance throwing the ball, I mean, how far could Hendon throw the ball? In this offense, it's more about how quickly you can read the how, – how, how you can think this offense, how quickly you can think this offense, work through your reads, know who you're looking for, make the right decision in that progress uh, – in that progression early in the snap, early in the play. I mean, it's more about almost how quickly you're processing this offense mentally as much as it is what your arm looks like. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I mean, it's it's the process. I mean, and that's where Hendon Hooker took the biggest strides from year one to year two was his ability to process it in this offense. Joe looked better. Joe did it in mop-up duty for the most part. He did process it well, uh, I thought, in the Clemson game. I thought he threw guys open, Matt. I didn't think he waited until guys got wide open in the Clemson game, which was a positive step forward, I think, for Joe and something that has to continue this offseason for him. Yeah, look, look a little bit more confident, a little bit more comfortable. Um, and I think, like you said a few times, threw guys open the throws into the end zone, um, specifically to squirrel. I mean, that was a that was a BB. I mean, that was that was a dart. And you know, the fastball for Joe is is always working. You know, where can he go change a pace? That's what I'm interested to see. Is there going to be any kind of change of pace? Is he going to have a change up this year to? to continue to do some of those things. So we'll see, but I, I'm, I don't know that we're going to see another fastball in terms of <laughs> Joe Milton for a long, long time. I mean, no, it's, it's, it's different. That's, that's for sure. Uh, Volfan six, one, five. Here's a recruiting calendar proposal. What if schools sign 10 scholarships, August 1st, but then sign the rest in the old February date schools can lock up their quarterback and other premium prospects, but late bloomers still get a shot in February. What do you all think happens? All right, first of all, that's not going to work because somebody's going to get their feelings hurt because they're pick number 11 and not pick number 10. Hey, we like you. You're, you're, you're the most important guy to us, but you can't sign till February. Um, you know, so that's that's not going to work in, your rela- in the relationship deal. But I do think this topic, um, and Jesse Simonton had something about it coming out of the coaches' convention. I, I think this topic is going to be a fascinating discussion um, guys, on, on what are they going to do? Are they really going to take it back to the old school February date? Are they going to bump up the early date into August? Um, what, what is the answer to find some kind of relief to the coaches and, and also not overburden the kid any more than they're already overburdened at this point with the recruiting process? I, 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 Matt, I think it's I think it's the most complicated lack of answer, but nasty, you have to find an answer in in the world of recruiting right now. Yeah, I, I agree. I I don't know what the answer is. We've talked about this a couple of times. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know how you get to it, but you have to find it. You know, if, if it's August, you know, maybe that works. You're, you're coming out of a summer of official visits and, you know, a little dead period in there when things open back up, I guess, late July for a week. But if it's August, you know, that's fine. And then you, you still have a chance for, for late bloomers and, and more evals. But I don't know. It's tough. That that recruiting calendar, the month of December is brutal. And the, you know, you, you said it, I think, well, the other night, Brent, we're going to run people out of the industry. You know, going to run good good people out of the industry because of, of burnout, you know, due to that. I'm interested to know how many people were at the coaching convention, you know, how many coaches were able to, to slot time to, to get there, you know, how many people just blew it off, you know? Yeah. It's like, Hey, it's a weekend off. I'm going to stay at the house. I mean, you think about, I mean, last weekend, I mean, Tennessee's class is done. Last weekend was junior day. 
this weekend is move-in weekend for the incoming guys, and, and they'll do some walk-on unofficial type stuff. And then they've got another junior day. That's the, I mean, they're not going to have an official visitor of note in the month of January, but, Rob, they're working every weekend in the month of January. I've, I've advocated for it to be August from the start. I've always felt like December was so what? I mean, you're, it's after right. the season's over. You're, it's, it's less than two months before the February signing day. I've, I've always felt like if you wanted to substantially change things, the, the December was not the way to do it. And that was before the transfer portal was a thing. I mean, when you throw that in on top of it, it's, it's a nightmare for coaches. I'm a, I'm a strong advocate for doing it, you know, September, Labor Day, you know, around Labor Day before high school gets into full swing. And I, I don't see the downside. I mean, they do, they've been doing it basketball for decades. I mean, if, if you, if things change in your school, if coaches leave, ask out of your LOI. I mean, it's, that's become just nothing. I mean, kids, that used to be a big deal, you know, well, schools let them out. Well, you know, and it's, it's a no brainer anymore. So I'm, I'm a strong proponent for, for August. I mean, it speeds things up. It really puts pressure on you nailing your evaluations. Like the poster is asking about it. You know, it, it's a downside for some, maybe some kids for some late bloomers, but if you're really wanting to affect the game, move it to August. I mean, December to me is, has always felt like nothing. I'm still thinking about these, the, what the poster asked, these 10 spots and what, what was the date? You can get 10 guys August at what point. point in the year. August imagine, the, imagine the drama around these 10 spots. Um, I mean, it would be like Willy Wonka's golden ticket search at some of these places, trying to get for some of these kids, trying to jockey for position to, to get one of those 10 spots. And I mean, it's just like the college football playoff, like there's four teams. Right now, number five is the one that's always complaining about getting left out. They're going to go to 12 teams. Then it's going to be number 13 that's going to be complaining about getting left out. Could you imagine number 11, number 12, number 13, whatever, on these scholarship, you know, offer whatever recruiting after this top 10 or these 10 names? Like, the, the drama there, man. Make your own reality TV show out of that stuff. Yeah, no doubt. Here, here's what I would like to do. I wish I could poll the Big Ten and the, Nor- and the Northeastern coaches who are all advocates – for the early signing period and early official visits and, and ask them if they like their life now that they can get guys in for warmer weather visits, or if they would really like to go back to the old school days where it's one signing day in February, but you get the month of May off and you get the month of July off in recruiting and you just bring kids in for camp visits and camps in June and you don't deal with official visits. Do they like the warm weather visits that much given the way it's changed their life in terms of their work schedule over the course of the last few months. Cause I bet if you ask the people in the South, the coaches in the South, Matt, they would be more than happy with going back to one date in February if they could get oh. the month of, of May back in their life. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, I think so. And, they, and I think the official visits take just so much. When you start looking at those weekends, they take so much out of those coaches. There's so much that goes into those official visits, so much time spent planning how you're going to do this, 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 and this, and fit in time. You know, you have families in with the kids that weekend. There's photo shoots. It's just those weekends are hard. You know, those, 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 you know, 72 hours right there are rough. So I'm like you, Brent. I mean, and, and there was an official visit weekend last year. I can't remember how many exactly it was, but there was official visits wrapping up and camp starting the next day, <laughs> you know? So like it, it nonstop, 
Yeah, it is. It is indeed that. All right. Second part of his question: Is it the new normal to only keep two scholarship players on scholarship quarterbacks on the roster? Is that the inevitable trade off of any time you bring in a good quarterback recruit in the world of the transfer portal in NIL? I, I think it's going to be hard to have three on the roster, three three good guys. I think Tennessee's an anomaly with last year. That's my opinion, guys. You'll never, never see. You'll never see a backup like Joe Milton again. I bet. That's a that's a bold statement, but I bet you'll never see a fifth year guy who started games at at this level at places like Tennessee and Michigan who, who sits around and waits. Yeah, I'm I mean, I think wrong. Tennessee's the, the perfect example. The situation they're in right now, like you don't really want to go into the season with two scholarship quarterbacks. You're not going to feel great about that. But who are you going to get to come in here uh, out, of the, out of the portal or whoever it is, a high school kid that's going to come into this situation and think, you know what, I'm, I'm going to sit here and, and sit third on the depth charter or whatever and, and just and just wait. I mean, when you're going to get your opportunity. I think Tennessee is a perfect example of how difficult it's going to be to ever have three scholarship guys on roster that are sticking with you for multiple years where you feel good about your quarterback depth. Yeah, I mean, nobody, nobody's mad at Taven Jackson for leaving. I mean, everybody right. gets it, right? Yeah, totally. It's, I mean, it, it was the common sense move. Like, why, I mean, what else is he going to do? Oh, here's another question. I mean, what what if Nico? I mean, I don't. I mean, not, doesn't start. But if he, you know, if he just lights it up whenever he, he comes, whenever he has mop up duty, you know, maybe starts again because it, whatever he looks great whenever he gets a chance to play for a freshman. How hard is it going to be to sign a kid in 24? And not just for ten. I mean, for anybody in in in, in any program in, in the same circumstance, not just Tennessee. I think it's gonna be hard, Matt. Yeah, I, I do too. I th- think it's going to be really hard. I think it's an ongoing evaluation for Tennessee. That's why I said earlier on the general's quarters, I just don't think there is a guy right now that they can push all in on because you you have the issue of Nico sitting there on the roster. And, you know, maybe the conversation gets easier if Joe Milton, you know, Hendon Hooker gets drafted. Joe Milton comes out in, in mid-October, you know, wins, he wins the starting job before the season, comes out mid-October and – you know, is being talked about getting drafted. Maybe someone's willing to say, hey, you know what, I'm willing to sit a couple of years in that system to get my chance, and all I have to do is get one good year to go, you know, to the league. But, again, it's it's a rarity in today's, you know, world. You can go somewhere and play, and if you do that and you want to go back to a bigger school at another time, you know, or transfer, you've got that one-time option to do so. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And the, the tough thing about the quarterback position is there's only one on the field. At- at one time, it's not like, you know, cornerback, wide receiver, tight end tackle, where you can find a way onto the field, even if you're not the best guy on the roster. So that's All tough. Right. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, didn't, I don't either. All right. Anthron's got some quick recruiting questions for you here, Matt. We appear to be in good shape for multiple defensive backs after junior day. How many DBs are they taking in this class? Uh, I don't know. I think, you know, they took, they signed five last year, would have liked to have got six with, you know, Sylvester Smith tried to circle back to Tyler Scott, but that didn't really, 
you know, go anywhere. So, yeah, I think I think four, you know, four, four to five guys again. We'll see what's out there, but I think four is probably the number. You know, right now you have Caleb Beasley committed. There, there's a lot of interest from guys that are defensive backs right now. You've got Marcus Gorey, it's a defensive back. You know, they can play corner for you, can play nickel. You've got Boo Carter, who you've been in a good spot with for a while, that can play safety. And then the two Maryland kids, you're in good spots with both of those guys, and Tennessee feels comfortable with both of those guys and those evals. So, you know, we'll see We'll see where they go, but I think four probably. Yeah. Uh, where do you think Tennessee is with running back targets in the 24 class? Who are the top priorities? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think it starts, you know, you, you've got Jarrett Gibson in twice during the season and and he's the guy but that's a battle i mean that at the end of the day that's a battle you've got everybody in the country involved there um you know he he's at img and it's it's only going to be a really tough recruitment but that's that's at the top of the board there you know you got jordan marshall coming in this um upcoming junior day on the 28th and, and he's continued to have good conversation with tennessee likes tennessee i mean you're probably battling Ohio State there the most right now. And then, um, you know, Daniel Hill from Mississippi, he was a guy that was hoping to be in this past junior day, could be in on the 28th. We'll see if he makes it in. But you're battling Alabama there right now, and and Alabama has some momentum in that one. Um, You know, so outside of those three guys right now, you know, there's Cam Davis in Georgia. Um, that is a guy that I think you could see Tennessee circle back to. But but right now I think those are the three top guys at the position in Gibson, Marshall, and uh, Daniel Hill. With the season now over and looking at next year, there's been a player every year that's taken a major step forward to being a major contributor that we didn't see coming. It was Theo uh, Jackson in year one, Beasley in year two. Who do you think it's going to be in 23, Grant? Give me your on-the-roster, out-of-the-blue guy for next year. Are we talking just offense or defense? I will go everybody. He didn't specify. So, I'll, I'll put the qualifier in. I mean, can I take the obvious and go squirrel, given the, the what happened in the Orange Bowl and the 10 targets and, and what looks like he has some chemistry there? He's not out of the uh, blue, though. I mean, you play. Out of the blue. Oh, gosh. I don't know. You're going to have to circle back to me. Out of the blue. I don't know. Matt, you go. Uh, out of the blue guy, that's tough. Um, I, I'm interested to see what Jordan Thomas does in year two at the safety position. You know, I still think week one, you know, we're going to see a group of veterans out there in, in the secondary. Um, until I see otherwise, I, I won't be convinced. But Jordan Thomas, a guy that did a lot of things for Tennessee on special teams this year, I'm interested to see what he does in week, you know, in year two. Um, another year in the weight room and another year in the system. I think he's a guy that could could at least find his way into the rotation more, maybe not that out-of-the-blue breakthrough guy, but that's a guy that I'm interested to see what happens. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, you know, I, I think Pierce has got a chance. I mean, Tyree West, I mean, he kind of falls in that squirrel white category, right, Grant? I mean, he played a, a good bit, but but I think that's a guy who can, can take a step. I think Bryson Eason's taken a step, although he played a lot uh this year as well um you know so i I don't know i mean of course it's out of the blue so you wouldn't know anybody that jordan thomas is interesting because i think that's going to be fascinating to see what they do in the secondary i was i'm I'm, I'm mad if i had any confidence that they would not just shuffle the veterans out there at safety i would have gone with jordan thomas or even i mean he's not out of blue but i think if christian charles gets back to safety i I think that kid has a chance to, to still be a good player 
Yeah, he's not a corner. He, they've got for confidence more than anything else. They got to get him back to a position he's comfortable with because he never looked comfortable at all uh, playing uh, at the corner spot. CN thirty one. Uh, when the roster is healthy, does Phillips feel like he should default to the veterans on the team? It seems like coaches and players say they want to see him be aggressive and have that aggressiveness all the time. But when Santi and Triple J have been out there, uh, he has been more willing to be that. He without them out there, he's been more willing to be that guy. When everybody's healthy, he seems to disappear at times. He could be a game changer, in my opinion, playing like he did against Mississippi State, South Carolina, and Vanderbilt. What do you say, guys? Grant, I, I don't really feel that way. I mean, maybe you do, but I, I mean, I don't. I just think he's a typical freshman. I mean, I don't. I don't think he defers to the Santi or, or Josiah. And I mean, Rick calls stuff for him. I mean, in right. games, I, I just think he's up and down like a lot of kids. I, I mean, it's it's an interesting dynamic because there are a lot of veteran pieces around him. There are a lot of guys that have done a lot over the course of their careers, and, and he is a guy that you know he's not. I don't know. He's a quiet kid. He's not the most in your face, go, you know, aggressive personality. Um, I think more than anything, if, if he's not being aggressive and if he's not looking for his shots or he's not looking to drive, I think it's it's up to Josiah and it's up to Santi and it's up to those other guys to stay in his ear that they need him to be that aggressive kind of guy. They need him to be, you know, he's not going to get 18 and 11 every night, but he's, he's got to be a lot closer to that and that, that level involved in the offense. Uh, opposed to what he was against Kentucky or, or some of these other games where he kind of just goes missing. Uh, I think it's that's, that's a benefit from being shorthanded at Mississippi State that maybe he sees that and maybe his teammates see that and they can push it a little bit more. Um, but it's it's an interesting dynamic at least. But it's – I mean, I, I just think it's about being a freshman. I mean, look, what, what did he do against Kansas after he just eviscerated right. USC? I mean, right. he, came, he scored 25 against USC and came back the next day, and I think he had five. Right. I mean, it just – I mean, it just happens with freshmen. Yeah, I think for him, it feels like he needs to see the ball go in the basket early. And I think that's a freshman thing. I think when he made – like, he made that first early three mm-hmm. in Startville. And, and and offensively, he seemed to have a little more confidence or aggressiveness about him, Grant. I'm not saying he went hog wild, but that, that got him into a flow. If he gets off to a slow start, it feels like he does kind of want to disappear because he, he it's the freshman part of him, right? Yeah, I mean, he had that early three. He, uh, he got to the free throw line in the second half. And I think that started a stretch there over three minutes where he scored eight straight points. Um, he had that big dunk to follow that Urosh miss uh, in the paint. He had that really tough finish in traffic after driving to the rim. Probably the best play we've seen him make uh, all year uh, was at Mississippi State Tuesday night. I mean, at, against Kentucky Saturday, they, they go up 8 nothing on a Julian Fields bucket. Uh, that he kind of got a roll on. And, and we, I saw him celebrate that bucket more than I've seen him celebrate any other moment, I think, in, in this his freshman season. And then after that, he picks up a couple quick fouls and, and he's out of it. So I do think he needs to see it early. He needs to see a shot go down. He needs to, to get a little confidence and score in a couple different ways. Uh, more than anything, though, he's got to be smart. He's got to avoid those two early fouls. All right, a couple more, and then we're out the door here. What are the plans for Neyland Stadium this offseason? What were the costs related to the Alabama win, has Tennessee said? Well, those goalposts have been laying around for 20 years to, to be replaced. So uh, I, I think that I think they'd probably paid those off. Uh, from a ground crew standpoint, they had to fix a couple things, but it wasn't anything dramatic. Uh, they had a lot more damage when they beat Florida in 98. As for plans for the stadium this offseason, there was initial talk that the old Gate 10 ramp which is every athlete's favorite ramp, particularly the basketball guys, right? Don't they run that thing for part of 
for part of conditioning. Um, or they used to uh, that the, the initial thought was that ramp was going to go away and they were going to put a scissor ramp in there. I don't think that's going to happen because of cost. I think they're going to keep that long ramp at ramp 10 and try to dress it up in some way. Most of the off season work right now is finishing out the West side club uh, underneath area that was not completely dressed out and then starting some of the fundamental work, if you will, for the South concourse, but not anything that you're going to see really visible I don't think um, th this off season. So that's why they'll be able to have a spring game if they want to, because the stadium's not going to be closed. It'll be another year before you see a major facelift that will be visible to, to all the fans out there. Um, and we'll see what that looks like once they get um, moving in the South uh, concourse or South end zone where they want to go next. Eventually that's probably going to be our seats down there as a media member. Um, I heart Vols wants to know in the NIL area, what's a better recruiting tool? a big endorsement deal or a track record of getting guys to the league? What do you think is the most important thing right now? Matt, I'll start with you. I still go back to the track record of getting guys to the league right now. You know, I mean, there's going to be guys that, that go for the NIL deal and they're out there and that's, that's all they care about. But a lot of these kids, you know, have good support systems and understand that, you know, that's where the real money is made you know there's there's going to be opportunity opportunities if you go somewhere where there is a track record of getting developed then most likely you have success on the field the nil deals are also going to come and you're still going to get to the league so for me it's still the track record of of development it's, it's track record matt said it real money like i want to get to the league not only do i want to get to the league i want to play in a relevant football program where they're going to be playing in big games like you know money's great but you're probably going to get a little bit of you know, money anywhere you go uh, in this day and age especially if you're high profile enough of, of an athlete so i want to go where they're producing not only picks but they're playing for championships and you're playing on a big stage because you know you want to be developed by elite coaches and elite programs you want to get not only drafted and, and get that first nfl contract but you want to work towards that second contract i mean the clock is ticking as soon as you get drafted towards that second contract so you you, you want the real money that matt talks about i think that's in the league and the nil money is just a, a little bit of an appetizer rob let me ask you ask this does the Jaden rashada story does that give pause to play to high school players out there about the chase for money I think it it has to. I mean, it goes back to like what Matt was talking about. If they do have, you know, if it's a kid with a good support system, it definitely I think is a game changer. I mean, you're going to want some some hardcore assurances that everything being promised is is going to be delivered, and that you know how you, whether you do that in writing or you know or just straight cash, homie. I, I don't know, <laughs> but I mean, I think that 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 the the way that thing unfolded, you know, kids at that level are, are going to. I think really want to have some ironclad assurances that everything that's being thrown out there is real. Yeah. I mean, I think I've said it. I think that story is there's lessons to be learned from collectives, from coaching staffs and from prospects through the Jaden Rashada story at Florida. And everyone has to take those lessons and learn from them moving forward to try to manage what is the wild, wild West and, and appears to remain that way for a while. So we'll see. That's going to uh, do it for this edition of the mailbag podcast. We appreciate all the questions got to most of them and uh, line them back up. We'll do it again next Thursday as we do it every Thursday. Don't forget. We got full coverage of the Polynesian bowl. Tennessee takes on LSU on Saturday. We got coverage of that. Uh, who knows what else is coming down the pike for Tennessee in terms of recruiting in the next few days, transfer portal closes 
later today. We'll see what happens with that. All kinds of things going on right now in the world of college athletics, and that includes the University of Tennessee. Don't forget, subscribe to VolQuest.com. Special offer for you right now. Jump on that before you get to football season. It's a great time to check us out. Hit that like button. Subscribe to the YouTube channel as well. That's going to do it for this edition. He's Matt Ray, Rob Lewis, Grant Ramey. I'm Brent Hubs, and for Austin Price and his blue blockers, wherever they might be on the island, that's going to do it for this edition of the Mailbag Podcast. Have a great Thursday, everybody. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.